Welcome to Podcasts from Cumberland Lodge. Today we will be speaking to the Shadow Attorney General and former Director of Liberty, Shami Chakrabarti. Shami accepted a visiting fellowship at Cumberland Lodge in 2016. Welcome Shami. Thanks very much. Um, I'm going to start with some questions about whether social cohesion is under threat today. Um, In the aftermath of the Brexit vote, do you think that the referendum has exposed new divisions in our society? I think it has. Um, I, I don't think there's much doubt about that. I think um, you, you can see it geographically in the you know the parts of the United Kingdom that uh, voted heavily to, to leave the EU and, and those that went the other way. You can see it within communities, you can see it within families. I know people who who weren't speaking to loved ones after the, the outcome of the of the referendum. I think it's a, a really testing time. Um, for the UK, but also for the wider world. You know, some of the experiences post-Brexit are mirrored um, in the United States, for example, um, mm-hmm. after the uh, election of, of President Trump. So I think it's uh, a challenging moment for those of us who believe in disagreeing well, for those of us who don't think that the world's problems can be solved by more and more fragmentation, those of us who are internationalists, those of us with progressive politics. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging moment, but we, we just need to step up. Mm. And some commentators are also worried about a recent spike in group enmities, uh, whether it's racial or religious hate crime, for example. Do you share those concerns? I do share the concerns, and, and not particularly because of commentators, but because, the, for example, the police themselves uh, talk about um, a spike in, in hate crime. And, and I think I've also been been reading a lot lately about hate online and obviously some of some of my political colleagues from different political parties but uh, it would seem women in particular are a real target for this new media it's a wonderful thing the internet it's, it's like the printing press it's probably the greatest innovation of my lifetime but it has a dark side too and some people feel a, a license to hate and threaten and incite online in a way that I just don't believe that they would do in the in the real world mm-hmm. and again this is this is a new a new challenge to to address not by shutting this wonderful uh, new space down but by um by learning to to catch up with the technology you know the kindness the politeness the civility the politics the law has to catch up with mm-hmm. with this innovation yeah I mean, you mentioned women there being particularly vulnerable, but um, young people in general can be vulnerable to this kind of thing online. Well, there are all sorts of new vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it's, the online world is a, it, is a great challenge to personal privacy. Mm-hmm. It's a great um, challenge to any young person who should be entitled to play around, make mistakes, and not have those mistakes follow them for the rest of their lives. So the, the intrusiveness of the internet, the foreverness of the internet, as well as the, the capacity that it brings for abuse. Mm. And these are, you know, I mean, I'm sounding very negative. I don't mean to be because it's a wonderful technology that, you know, on the plus side, connects people all over the world, that allows people to, to speak unedited and unmediated by, you know, powerful interests. But... It's, it's a bit like the Wild West at the moment and we need to find some sheriffs and catch up. Mm. And thinking more broadly, what do you think are the particular challenges that are facing young people in society today? Well, I think um, if I were young, I wouldn't be very happy 
with um, the world that my generation of middle-aged people has left them. You know, they didn't they didn't warm the planet or crunch the credit or start the wars, and yet they are picking up the tag and probably will be picking up the tab for some years to come, being paid less for working more, sometimes on very insecure terms, zero hours contracts and so on, um, worried about the prospect of ever having a home, uh, just so little security. Um, and of course Brexit has added to that insecurity. So I think it's, a, it's, it, it, it's an insecure world, it's a, a shrinking world and an interconnected one and we need, to, um, we need to remember that and try and rise to this challenge. Mm. Thinking about education, do you think that our education system places enough emphasis on helping young people to think more critically about social and ethical issues? I think this should be a much greater priority than I think it's ever been Mm. in our education system. It's almost as if we're trying to produce good little soldiers or good little workers or good little mothers or good little chief executives, but, Mm. but actually we should be empowering young citizens and young people to be critical of the world around them, but to also be active and empowered in it. And and perhaps most of all, we need to learn to disagree well. Mm. I think that there'd be a lot less online hate and division if people felt that they had been equipped with the the voice and the skills to be heard in a vaguely decent, nuanced and, and frankly, kind way. Mm. A Rise and Scanning report in 2014 um, on young people's social attitudes found that, well, three quarters of the under-25s think it's good to have a democratic system of governance. A quarter actually think it's bad. Did those findings surprise you? I think that it's obviously not a very positive finding because for 25% people to think democracy is not good is, is, is pretty shocking. But it's possible to be shocked and not surprised. Mm. And I think that's how I feel about this. I'm I'm shocked but not surprised because of some of the issues we've been discussing, um, not least a crisis of trust, a crisis of trust in democratic institutions, whether it's, you know, whether it was over the Iraq war and intelligence and the executive, whether it was over MPs' expenses, whether it was over phone hacking and, you know, journalism or some journalists behaving badly in that way, whether it's the banking crash of 2008. These are all great democratic institutions that were seen to be letting people down. And the danger then is that people lack trust in those institutions that that we do need. We do need intelligence agencies, we do need government, we do need MPs, we do need banks, but we need to rebuild trust in them, sometimes by rebuilding them. What implications do you think all this has for social cohesion? I think that we can't have a society without these democratic institutions and we need people to feel that these institutions belong to them, that they have a stake in them, that they can make a difference to them, and then the institutions will become a vehicle for social inclusion and not a vehicle for um, alienation, inequality and division. How do you think we can promote a sense of belonging amongst all members of society? I think that one way could be to try and change the way we do politics, to try as people in public life to um, to disagree well, to be less ranty, <laughs> To, to be more thoughtful and just more inclusive, including of people with whom we disagree. And if we can't start there in our own political parties or 
on media and so on, I don't think there's much hope for for spreading a a better message elsewhere in society, particularly with younger people. Mm. And do you think in society it's possible or right to tolerate different views without respecting them? Um, This is a tricky question because I think we have to disagree well. I have to be able to listen to uh, views that I find positively abhorrent and find a language to disagree with even abhorrent positions in a way that is persuasive and even courteous and not inflammatory. It sounds a bit like turning the other cheek, but, but in a way it's, it's more than that. It's saying, I will passionately disagree with your sexist, uh, misogynistic, racist, elitist, whatever it is, views, but but I'm going to try to engage with where those views are coming from and put an alternate view um, in a way that isn't just a hateful tweet. Mm. Now, you've been a visiting fellow here at Cumberland Lodge since 2016, and Cumberland Lodge is very much a place for constructive dialogue. Mm. Um, What role do you think that dialogue across social and professional boundaries can play in addressing social divisions? I think dialogue is essential, isn't it? Mm. Uh, everywhere, every place where human beings come together, including in the online space, it, it's got to be dialogue and not monologue, and it's got to be a real dialogue. Um, sometimes in person, and not, you know, not just with the anonymity and, and distance of being on online. And I think if we can disagree well in dialogue, we also have a better prospect of agreeing about really important things as well. And um, and a really good dialogue usually leaves you with at least some agreement, if the agreement is only to, to keep the dialogue going. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. This recording was made in 2017, the 70th anniversary of Cumberland Lodge as an educational foundation. To find out more about the educational and charitable work of Cumberland Lodge, please go to cumberlandlodge.ac.uk.